listening to BC Museum Portraits, and I'm project manager Spencer Stewart. In this episode, we'll be speaking with curator and director of the museum at Campbell River, Sandra Parrish, as well as Beth Boyce, curator and educations director. Beth and Sandra, thank you both very much for, for joining me today to speak about the museum at Campbell River. How did you both get started in museums in, in the first place? What drew you to the, to the sector? Well, I wasn't particularly drawn to the sector at the time. I was a, a young person in Campbell River needing a job during a period where there was low employment and applied to the museum. And there was something that captured my attention about it. And I captured the attention of the leadership of the day and I came back on subsequent grants over the years, had a, a permanent position, did training along the way, uh, so just found this career by chance. <laughs> My route was a bit circuitous. I did one of those you know, surveys in high school where you fill in and they tell you what job you should have and I did it a couple times and it always came up as museum curator which was funny and so I looked at that career path to get a PhD in something remarkably specific and then hope to God a job comes up in that specialty and I thought that was a bit too chancy but I, I did a history degree and went into conservation, objects conservation because I thought oh, all museums need conservators, the, the artifacts need care and love and so did the master's degree in art conservation through Queen's and then finished and there were no jobs in conservation on the coast but this job came up at this museum. I've been here for, for nearly nine years now. So. What's the history of the museum at Campbell River. How did the collections start? What were their focuses at that point? And how did they get to where they are today and, and this facility that we're in? Well, Beth is going to start that off because okay. a, a few years ago we had our 60th anniversary and she looked into all those those questions. Yeah. yeah, so the museum here in Campbell River started um, in 1958 with a little historical society that was really interested in looking at the indigenous history of the area actually, but as well as the, the later settler history. And it quickly you know, went from a, a display case in a local fishing lodge to the bottom of the municipal hall to its own purpose-built building for the centennial and as staff changed it evolved into what we have today and always in the, the collection itself was it was an equal focus on indigenous history and and objects as well as uh, the settler history so our, our collection even today is still about half half indigenous materials mm. yeah and that mandate who were some of the people that influenced that that perspective well, the very first curator and kind of the driver for the museum was a man named Ed Mead and he had really close relationships with a lot of the indigenous community members here and that philosophy of working with our local community members has continued from from the very beginning so that's something that's survived through successive um, generations of museum staff as well as with um, community members and, and family members. The, the mandate has never really changed much but it certainly has been fine-tuned and that fine-tuning really occurred in the late 1970s when Jay Stewart became the executive director and she was a director for a number of years 
and Jay was ahead of her time. So one of the early projects she did was an assessment of the collection to make sure it fit with the mandate, a deaccessioning project, doing all those sort of housekeeping things that we now see many museums are just doing. Mm -hmm. Then in the 90s, the assistant curator Jeanette Taylor established an acquisitions committee that has really mm -hmm. um, shaped the collection and kept it on track. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That was one thing I noticed when I first started here. I've worked at a number of different institutions over the years before coming here and this museum's always been very good about saying no, that doesn't fit, so we're not going to take it in. The collection storm's never been overrun with flat irons and, and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. that, that you often see in a lot of community mm -hmm. museums. What are some of the strengths of the holdings here at the, at the Museum of Campbell River? definitely the indigenous buildings. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely, yes. And, and most of them have been acquired directly from the artists themselves. They're mm -hmm. mostly contemporary pieces starting in the, the 60s. Mm -hmm. Purchasing, working with artists in the shop, having a, a place for local artists to sell their wares. Almost all of the artists represented in the shop, we made sure we had pieces of theirs represented in the collection as well. Mm -hmm. Are you still acquiring material in the present day or, or are you actively engaging with the community still? Yeah, as much as we can. When they moved into this institution and in this building in 1994, there was a real drive to acquire pieces that fit the, the storyline for the permanent galleries and to fill in those gaps and pieces. Mm -hmm. Now we're much more donation-based, so we don't have a, a large budget for pursuing pieces and things like that. Mm -hmm. There have been cases where we've pursued grants to do that, but mostly we're a bit more passively collecting at this point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And then we're also aware that not all, it doesn't always result in having to have an object or a thing to represent a part of our story. There has been many other projects that fill the informational gap rather than caring for mm -hmm. an object for the evermore. Do you feel that was a perspective within the museum from the beginning or is that something that you've seen change in terms of museum practice? No, I think, again, back to Jay Stewart, and in particular when they were working on the storyline for the, the exhibits here. They worked with Jean-André, who had developed many of the, the exhibits at the Provincial Museum, and he was very much about what is the unique thing about your story, and is an exhibit the best way to feature that? Is this a book? Or is this a audiovisual type thing? So really analyzing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. and right from Jay's time, the the Genesis projects, the archival projects, to, mm -hmm. to collect oral history recordings from local community members of their stories and their memories. We we are still actively engaged in in doing different oral history projects, mm -hmm. uh, which sometimes then brings in objects or photographs or other things to add to the collection through pursuing the recording of those stories. Mm -hmm. But that's one way we've been doing that for a long time. And there's that great quote that Jay when we did yeah, the, the, when we anniversary. Did the anniversary yes, exhibit yeah. and book. And we featured 60 objects from the collection and their stories for our 60th anniversary in an exhibit and in an accompanying book. And Jay, in one of our interviews with her about the history of the institution, said, it's not about the object, it's the story that the object tells. And that's very much about how we, we tell stories mm -hmm. here. How, how do you come about putting together uh, projects? And, and what are some at the moment that you're, you're mulling over and thinking about? It varies. Yeah, it varies. Quite a bit. But Beaver Lodge. Yeah, the Beaver Lodge Land is a, a local recreational area now, but it was a gift 
from a logging company to the province as the, one of the first experimental forests in the province to test out tree planting. And that kind of knowledge got a bit lost and it was going to be developed into to someone remembered that this was supposed to be a, a forest. They went to the provincial archives, they found the document. It was this big um, event that kind of gripped the whole community in the 1990s, but there wasn't a thing that could tell that story. But we still had the community members who were actively involved in that. So we did an oral history project where we filmed and interviewed and partnered with the local TV station, Shaw TV, and developed a documentary that still gets shown regularly and, and circulated in the community to tell the history of this really important park. Things like that, sometimes it's community members approaching us, hey, there's this story you guys really need to, to make sure it's saved or, or recorded in some way. So often a lot of these oral history projects are driven by people in the community coming to talk to us, say this would be a great exhibit or this would be a great project. We only have so many people on staff. We don't always have the capacity to do those projects. Mm -hmm. But with when community members are coming to us saying, we can usually get them roped in and to help and, and have volunteers mm -hmm. to help gather those stories. Mm -hmm. yeah. And of course, there's always the, the anniversaries of different things, prompt exhibits or other topics, and then just current topics, like the upcoming temporary mm -hmm. exhibit for next year is driven by reconciliation. So it's not just one it's not just one thing. Way. Yeah, it can be just a little kernel of an idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then it can develop into something else. Yes, yeah. yeah. How do you go about continuing that relationship? Or is it something that's now almost embedded? I feel it's almost embedded. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that you can't just sit here and think they will come. Mm -hmm. It is about having real relationships with individuals in the community. Here's an absolute prime example. When Jay Stewart came, one of the early people that she met was a Kwakwakiwak artist, Henderson. Mm -hmm. And now Sam's grandsons are involved and grandchildren are involved in the museum. There's relationships. Mm -hmm. So it's it's continual. Mm -hmm. Absolutely continual. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. What are some events or individuals within the community that as a museum you're interested in telling that story but has not yet been brought up by community members or, or something that you're seeing that's maybe changing that you're wanting to to represent or discuss through one of your projects well, well we're looking now at, at gathering some of the stories from you know the 70s 80s 90s those periods that felt too contemporary during the 70s, 80s, and 90s to collect those stories. Mm. So trying to capture some of those community members who are now elders in the community look back and reflect and, and share some of their stories. Mm. Yeah. What are some early holdings of the collection that you're finding new interpretations and new readings of in the present when putting together exhibitions? What you're doing with Fred Nunn's. Yeah. An example. Yeah. yeah. So right now I'm I'm working on an article. A, a local one of the the very first um, white settlers to the community. He kept a diary, and a lot of his letters are in the provincial archives. So the, in the history of this museum, we've often shared his memories because it was one of those early recorded accounts of life in Campbell River, late 1800s, early 1900s. But he didn't always have the best relationships with the local First Nations and there was a lot of conflict there and some frankly shady dealings that, that the museum in the past didn't draw attention to those things. But now it's maybe it's time to really look at, at Mr. Nunn's in a bit more critical and, and so we're 
reframing how we talk about him and his history in the community in that light. Mm. Yeah, just mm. being a bit more forthcoming about the full picture. Mm -hmm. Are you thinking about certain techniques of how to engage people in discussions of what they're doing as being historically shaping the, the, the future of Campbell River? Or are you still working on holdings from the collection and thinking about those? I, I'm not looking generally at, at collecting for right now. Yeah. I'm still looking at, at the past because right now sometimes you don't know what's, when you're in it, what's going to be the thing mm -hmm. that really represents that period or, or that time. So mm -hmm. I haven't done a lot of that, mm -hmm. truthfully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it yeah. sounds that your relationship of the museum to the community, that there's some kind of lockstep or some sort of mm -hmm. sense that, mm -hmm. that people are together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I think that where we excel is bringing the things that happened in the past that have created what we're experiencing right now mm -hmm. or what can provide people with a little bit more of understanding mm -hmm. about where we are right now. What do we have in our holdings, for example, that let people ha gain a better understanding about what happened with the, the First Nations in, in our community? Mm -hmm. What was some of the, the segregation why didn't you know? Why did the kids go to the the day school rather than to street school and and those mm -hmm. kinds of things? So they gain an understanding of what the, some of the concerns are today. Those conversations do those come from the research and time that you spend with the holdings, or is it from public conversation and then coming back into the archives? How do you set out to put together the article that you're thinking about at the right. moment or an exhibition? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of it's come from conversations with community members right. and, and other projects and these just conversations happen. And some of it, other oral history projects have informed a lot of things as well. So it's a it's kind of an organic process. Mm -hmm. The exhibit I'm working on um, right now for next year with Cecil Dawson, who's a man who grew up in Campbell River, he's a artist, and it's looking at his artwork but also his life and how the different kind of aspects of co colonization has impacted his family and his life and then his artwork in turn. And part of that conversation is the role of museums in colonization and of having these pieces in our holdings and what that has meant for families. And so part of that exhibition is bringing together his family pieces in both our collection and the Museum of Anthropology's collection and displaying them alongside pieces he's made to recreate so his family can still continue to share those prerogatives in Palach. And there's been many circumstances where he's taken objects that are his family pieces that are held here and used them in potlatches and so we're talking about the way museums role can be shifted and adjusted in future going forward mm -hmm. in terms of our holdings and how they are best used mm -hmm. and there is another aspect of doing those kind of oral histories or other projects is that there can be objects or archival material that are discovered along the way Mm -hmm. And we're always aware of that, that there can be that thing that will just tell that story. People can look at it and identify with it, and it evokes that connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What are some other exhibitions that are on your mind at the moment? COVID wiped our slate clean with our exhibit schedule, so we could always pick up some of those. But it allowed for this exhibit with Cecil to happen in a really beautiful way, because mm -hmm. we were shut down, we had no plans with their exhibits mm -hmm. and Cecil came in to 
view a number of paintings that we had in the collection from one of his former mentors who since passed away. Mm -hmm. And he wanted to learn a bit more from his teacher. So mm -hmm. he came in to see all of these paintings and we started having a conversation and it just over the past year and this exhibit has evolved really organically that wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had time we for it, we wouldn't have been able to s slot it in. What were the different iterations of the museum over the years? The, the community has always supported the museum and in 1967 there was a community centennial project and that included space for the museum library and the tourist info center. Mm -hmm. So that was our first purpose -built. real purpose-built mm -hmm. space. But they collected things very quickly. <laughs> And they were out of space by what, 1970? It was very quickly. Very early 70s, yeah, they were right out of <laughs> they were space. Out of, out of space. So then again, along came Jay Stewart and realized that there was a need for a, a bigger facility. So the project for this building started in the late 70s. Okay. So it was 20 years in, in the making and involved a great deal of community support, funders, various levels of government, but always very supportive has been the city of Campbell River. So this 7.1 acre property was actually the forest uh, station. Yeah. And when it came up from, for sale, the city bought it for the museum. And then the society built this building and opened it and then handed over the keys to the city. So this building is owned by the city of Campbell River. Okay. The museum has been very fortunate to have a symbiotic relationship with the city. You were talking about the, the oral projects that you've done, some photo projects. What were some early projects that, that started you thinking about other forms of telling, other forms of presenting stories to the community? Um, other than just say the, just an exhibition in, in a space? Well, some of the early ones focused on women's history mm -hmm. and specifically residential school history in the early 90s and those ended with documentaries and in different partnerships and from then we've done several other, we call them living history documentaries in partnership with the local TV station. So mm -hmm. that those kind of started in the 90s with those projects. What, what are some hopes and aspirations for the, the museum? What are some uh, things you want to achieve what do you what do you see uh, five ten years out for the institution? But it's going to be on the staffing some years of change for the organization, so then that always makes you think about the, the succession and how the organization is going to continue to to move forward. I think that our aspirations has always been to view this museum as a community gathering space, a space where. The community identifies, they can come, they can learn, they can share experiences, they're comfortable. It's involved and part of the community. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think you can hope for a lot more than that mm -hmm. for many organizations. We've all mm -hmm. heard of museums that have lost connections with their community or are out of pace with what's happening around them, and I think that is what we don't want is we want to always be a part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. There's so much um, amazing connections and research happening with community members because of, of the internet and, and access, so that's one of the things that we aren't online yet, so getting our collection online to be able to engage in those conversations with community members who don't live here anymore, or who are mm -hmm. far flung, would be really mm -hmm. exciting. I really think the other thing that is always exciting about this job and working in museums is it's never static. Mm -hmm. You're always looking at things 
from a, a different angle, different perspective. And that, I think, is part of the internal culture here in the museum. Mm-hmm. It's just embedded in what we do. Mm-hmm. The job is never done. Mm-hmm. And you're always going to come back and re-examine what it was you've done in the past or what you thought about that thing in the past. It's always looking at different lenses. And mm-hmm. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down and speak with me today. You're very welcome. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. This has been another BC Museum Portrait. BC Museum Portraits is done in partnership with the BC Museum Association. To hear more portraits and view the accompanying images made by project photographer Tayu Hayward, please go to museum.bc.ca. Thank you very much for listening. Until next time.